Hey, you are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. Looking at John the Baptist and, and, and truth-telling, and if you were just not, not catching it, your truth-telling happened when we together, collectively, sang the songs we just sang. We were truth-telling about who God is, about the greatness of what He's about. And it really is, quite frankly, that simple. I know we complicate it and we get afraid of it and we are not sure of it, but really it's not that complicated to say the great things you just said in song that we could say directly to Him. Um, as we take a look at God's Word today, we're looking at John 1, 11, or we're looking at Luke 1 and Matthew 11. So all of those texts we'll look at in just a moment, but I want to ask you this question, what makes a person great? Now, what we would say is great and what the world says is great is a completely different deal. In a book called The Life Millennium, the 100 Most Important People and Events of the Last Thousand Years, it was interesting, it was a study done by Life Magazine, and they were looking at people who were great. They identified the criteria for being a great person. And so they listed then the order of who were the greatest people in the last thousand years. Number one on that list, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, they believe that not only did he give us light that we need, but he believed, they believe that the, to the millenniums to come, Edison will be thanked for the fact that we all can see now and, and many other things that he brought to our attention. Second on that list is Christopher Columbus, which is interesting to me because he accidentally discovered this place, you know, like he discovered this land. But, but in that, he, that, that discovery was of great influence and great importance, at least according to the standards they had. The list went on, and here are some of the summaries of that. 18 scientists were on the list, 17 statesmen and national leaders, 10 were military conquerors, 10 were inventors, 7 philosophers, 7 explorers, 7 writers, 5 artists, and only 4 theologians. That there were four composers and two entertainers. It's interesting, the two entertainers to me were P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney. Interesting things. I think it's interesting the way they kind of came up with the criteria, criteria of who would be greatest on that list. And fascinating to me, that as a representative of our popular culture, what we think is a great person isn't at all what God has in store for us. Because we see that greatness to God is completely different than the rest of us. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I don't know about you, but I kind of fall into that list. I'm not like the greatest on anything, and yet I fall on this list of people that have been changed and can be an influencer for the kingdom of God. And the Lord doesn't look at the things the way that man looks at it. According to 1 Samuel 16, 17, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Oh, are we going to see that in the study of John the Baptist in the next couple of weeks? What we're going to discover today through the series in John the Baptist that he truly was a great man. He was a great man because he was sent from God. And God, John existed, his, 
He was foretold well before he actually came. Jesus was foretold as well. And I want to take a look at a couple of those foretelling moments that happened in John the Baptist's life. So here's three of those kind of verses that talk about John's coming. One was in Isaiah chapter 40, verse uh, 3 through 5. But it's verse 3, it says this. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is what was claimed to John. Seven centuries before John was born, his mission was laid out. His purpose was out there for all of us to see. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 is another one of those foretellings what was prophesied about him. It was quoted this way out of Mark's gospel. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. In other words, the Lord, before the Lord comes to his temple, there's going to be a messenger who's going to come and prepare the way, and that was in John the Baptist. And then this final one for us in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. says, See, I send you the prophet Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes he who will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. 450 BC was the last prophetic word before the New Testament era happened. And then comes on the scene, this prophet that was talked about in John the Baptist. Well, we're going to read about this great man of God who was sent by God in three different texts. And we're looking at a lot of different pieces of his life. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter one as our first one, Luke chapter one. And as you're turning to Luke one verses 76 through 79, get hold of John one, all the beginnings of, of, of John's presence here. Let me just kind of wrap up that story really quick in Luke chapter one. John is born at the same time Jesus is born, right about the same time. Now Elizabeth, John's mom, pregnant with him, getting told by Mary, who comes and says, hey, I had an angel come and speak to me about the fact that, the, that I'm carrying now the Lord Jesus Christ. And when she says this to Elizabeth, John, in the womb, leaps for joy. Now, that's kind of our Christmas-like thing that we talk about, right? But I wonder, how many of us have lost that ability to leap at the fact that Christ Jesus has come and that he is here and that we want to tell as many people about it. Well, in all of that story, uh, Zachariah wasn't quite as sold out to the idea, thinking that Elizabeth is too old to have a child, it can't happen. And from that, Zechariah was closed. His mouth was closed by the angel of the Lord. And then later, when John is born, and he speaks out his name, actually wrote it on a pad, and wrote up the name John. When he did that, his voice came back, and he was able to talk. And what was his first thing he did? He sang a song. Verse 76 talks about that song of what he thought about John the Baptist. Here's what, here's what it says. It says, and you, my child, you will be called prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Verse 80 says, and the child grew, became strong in spirit. He lived in the desert until he appeared public to, to Israel. We'll talk about that in a moment. Looked at John chapter one, just a little bit more information about John the Baptist that we want to re recall a little bit for us. John chapter one, verses six through eight, read like this. There came a man who was sent from God and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him, all men might believe. 
He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into this world. And John was making the announcement and proclamation about that. One more text for us. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 7 through 19. Again, more language about who John the Baptist was. And we're going to hear it directly from Jesus himself in verse verse 7. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, why did you go out to sea? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are kings and palaces. Then what did, he, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one whom it is written. I will send my message ahead of you and will prepare your way before you. Then verse 11, he says these words about, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen among greater than John the Baptist, and yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We'll come back to that verse. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept that he is Elijah who is to come, he who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a, a dirge for you, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he was a demon. A son of man came eating and drinking, and there he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. These are words of John the Baptist, words about the man sent from God. And from that, we find out that John really is a great man. And what makes a, a man so great, at least the way we can read it in the text that we have? I have six things for you today, and then we'll be on our way today. The first one I see is that it was a man. John was a man that was dedicated as a child in service of God, set apart to be the man of God he was called to be. We see that in Luke chapter 1 as it unfolds for us, but for the very beginning, John was given a purpose by God in his life that would be directed toward making the Lord Jesus Christ known and possible. He was great because he was born to serve the Lord God. He stood out as an outstanding servant of our Lord, had the power to publicly and practically turn the land of Israel upside down. Thousands flocked to hear the testimony of this man. He'd been put out with one theme. The message of God was given to him, a message learned in the presence of God, testifying to the Son of God on who he was and who they had not yet seen. And then John sees him on the banks of the Jordan River. We'll talk about this later, but one thing that he says, I saw and bear a record that this is the Son of God. John was born in unusual circumstances for sure. Luke chapter 1 kind of reminds us of that idea that it was an unusual time. Mary gets excited about what it is that happened, goes talk to Elizabeth, and in that moment, in the womb, John leaps for joy. Unusual circumstances at best, waiting for his father to break the silence once he announces the name of John. Because here's the thing that happens with Zechariah and probably Elizabeth and some of us as well. Never assume God intends to say no to your request unless God says no. You know, so many of us want to say God's no for him. Like, we know, that God, we know what God would say. Like, why are you talking for him? Why are you speaking on, on his behalf? We say, he can't do it. it. It's not possible. 
And Zachariah and Elizabeth were old. And an angel came to tell them about their son John being born. And they assumed that God had said no to them. But listen to what the angel Gabriel came to say in Luke chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And you will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to wisdom, the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? I'm an old man and my wife is old and well along in years as well. That was his second big mistake right there. Zechariah was telling the angel no. But only God can say no in our lives. And so about the time anybody starts to say no, God can't do it, we're closing the mouth of God before God has a chance to say no. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 4 says it this way, and no one takes this honor on himself. He receives it when he's called by God, just as Aaron was. We receive this calling on our life to go do what it is we've been called to go do. And again, I want us to understand, and you'll get it, I hope, that when when we're talking about John the Baptist, we're not talking about some story about John, we're talking about us. We'll get to how that unfolds in our lives here in just a minute. But each of us have this calling. We each have this commission. In Matthew chapter 28, we are commissioned by Christ Jesus to take the message of Christ to other people. All of us are. And if we said yes to following Jesus, we said yes to that. And that demands a commissioning. John was a sort of nomad in the regions of Israel, brought up in the wilderness. But a man had a history with God. A man sent from God. It is almost the same term used for the Son of God himself, except that the Son of God came from God and from heaven. John the Baptist came from communing with God in the wilderness. God commissioned him to tell. He dedicated him to God. And just to, go, just to piggyback off of what Sarah has already read, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his special appeal through us. We are the ambassadors, you and I, we are the ones who talk about the greatness of him. We have been called to dedicate our lives in service to this great king. Here's the second thing I would see in this text for us in Matthew chapter 11, 11, that John was a man that Jesus defined. He was a man that Jesus defines. And here's the deal. Uh, listen to how Jesus defines John one more time. I'll read it twice. I'll read it one more time at the very end. But truly I said to you, and anytime you, Jesus says, truly I tell you, or I want to tell you the truth, or truly, verily, verily, is what we typically see in King James. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He has defined John as the best person born of a woman. Yet he goes on, because there's a little thing right after, I have a colon, after semicolon after mine. It says, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, who would that be? We'll talk more about that in a moment as well. But a man is defined by Jesus. Jesus defined who John was. And in that moment, John needed to be defined in a, in a land to take time to be prepared in a desert by God. So here's John, a man living in the wilderness, perhaps, perhaps probably 10 years or better. Little does he know he's being prepared for God to do his work. He didn't attend seminary. He didn't have any degrees. He had no contacts. He had no network backing him up. Good grief, he didn't even have social media. How in the world could he be effective? How in the world could, he, could John the Baptist be effective without social media? And yet we have social media. We have the ability way even greater than him. So you have to have a great, you have to be great at heart. 
And John was great at heart. There was no question about that. And he did so by being the least, by being last. You get small, and all of a sudden, God becomes enormous. Find yourself being little, and you find him, you're, you find him being even greater than you were. How could John reach the masses of people? I mean, he's the first prophet that we've heard from in 300 years. John did not attempt to preach in the temple. He didn't rent a large auditorium in Jerusalem. The bank of the Jordan became his pulpit. He didn't go to the city, but the city came to him. He did not compromise with official governments, but Roman leaders trembled when he spoke. John was about heart and nothing more. And I want you to know, we all have that same heart and that same ability. Jesus was the one who defined John. And quite frankly, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, I want to direct you to the fact of this, that Jesus has defined you. Would you go ahead and grab the communion that's nearby you? Because Jesus was defining you and me as well when he was talking to John or talking about John. He defines him and he defines us. What is your definition of who you are? What is your position with Christ Jesus? Certainly it's not your stuff and certainly it's not your accomplishments. It is what Christ Jesus has done for you that you could not do yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 9 or chapter 1 verses 9 through 12, Paul gives us this piece of what it looks like to be this person who's defined. It's, he says this, he has saved us. He's called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his purpose and his grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. And that is why I'm suffering as I am. And yet this is not a cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I entrusted to him until that day. And of this gospel, I was anointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. In this text, Jesus is defining you and me. He's letting us know we've been saved. He's letting us know we've been redeemed and we're forever defined as forever people. Don't believe me? John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, in, that those who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We have been defined as forever people, not because of anything that we did, but because of what he did on the cross for us. He defines who we are. He made us who we are. And we celebrate. We come to this moment when we remember what Christ Jesus has done for us. He has defined who we are as forever people. Oh, how I want you to think about that as you again meditate on the idea that Christ Jesus came to make you a forever person. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we come to you once again, recalling and remembering again what it is you've done sacrificially for us. You call us to do that as often as we eat or drink. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We've been reminded again of a text that tells us that we have this moment where stripes were put upon your back because of us. And yet you've defined us as eternal people because we believe in you. We thank you for coming and taking our sin upon yourself, dying on it, dying for it once and for all and setting us all free. We now become those followers. We have been now defined by the cross. 
We are new people. We were unholy, unable to approach you, but now we've, made right, we've been made righteous. We've been clothed with righteousness, not because of anything we can do, God, all because of what you did through your Savior. So thank you so much for this moment when we can remember again his body and his blood that was given on our behalf to give us that life. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And now, church family, as a body of Christ, would you take the bread and eat it remembering the body of our Savior? And would you take the cup and drink it remembering the blood that was shed on your behalf to give you life everlasting? Here's a third piece for us. In regards to this text, a man sent from God was a man of conviction. John was a man of conviction. It says in verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. And what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? No, you're going to see somebody who's going to stand tall like an oak tree planted deep with his roots deep. Even while he, when John goes to prison, we'll talk about that later as we come to that in the coming weeks, that his convictions was about his own lifeblood. Okay, go ahead and kill me. I'm still not going to not tell you the truth. He was focused on his mission and his passion and about his role. He never wavered from his calling. And I just wonder what it takes for us to waver from ours. What it takes for us to say, I can't talk to you. I can't talk about you. See, John stood out in a crowd, not because he was tall or big. In fact, he was camel hair and uh, he ate locusts and wild honey. I'm not saying, suggesting that's what we have to do in order to stand out in a crowd. The Bible record's very plain when it assures us that John the Baptist was a man sent from God. Our generation would probably decide that such a man ought to be downright proud of the fact that God sent him. We would urge him to write a book, uh, do seminary leadership, and sign up as a guest lecturer. Actually, John the Baptist would never fit the contemporary pattern of religious scene in our day. In fact, if he came, we might run him out on a rail because of how offensive he is to us. He didn't keep his suit pressed. He, was, he wasn't really careful about choosing the words that he used to not offend. He didn't quote beautiful passages from poets. The doctors of psychiatry would have given him quick advice. John, you really need to get adjusted to the times of society. Adjustment. A modern word I've come to hate. It was never an expression used to speak about human beings until we forgot the man has a soul. He has a purpose. Now we have people who tell us with mental screwdrivers adjusting one person a little tighter and a little and a little looser. John needed no adjustment. He gladly stepped down so that all eyes could turn to Jesus, the Lamb of God. How about you? What's your conviction when it comes to Jesus? Here's number four for us. John was a man of great courage. Now, he was rough, and he was blunt, but he was courageous. He called the Pharisees, in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 17, a generation of vipers. Go ahead and say, that'll make you Mr. Popularity. When you tell the religious leaders of the time, a generation of vipers. See, if you preach like that, you might lose your job. People will try to counsel you on social media. You'll be warned about risking your career. Evidently, no one warned John about his excessive language, or if they did, he didn't pay any attention to them. Here was a man who didn't worry about what others thought about him. He was rough, and he was blunt. No wonder Herod feared him. No wonder the nations flocked to him. No wonder the Pharisees tried to control him. See, John was a man with no desire to fit him. We want to feel like we belong in some 
polite society. But John the Baptist, he lived for years in the wilderness. Not too much polite society in those wild regions, that's for sure. He spoke the truth without compromise, and, and people loved him for it. And I think it's because he loved them. Because, see, we could be all truth and no love, and nobody wants that. But I think that John truly loved him. He wanted them to know about the Savior. And someone has said that even bad men admire those who tell the truth. And that explains why Herod listened to John, even when John rebuked their sin. Because John went against the flow. We're afraid of being different. We're, we're fear of losing our job, our friends, our income. The fear is not misplaced. These days you risk everything if you dare to express an opinion not approved by the powers that be. How many times have you not been liked on Facebook because you said something about Jesus? Be courageous. He was. Here's the fifth thing about John. John was a man who didn't need comfort or wealth. Obviously, he wasn't dressed in fine clothes. Verse 8 in Matthew chapter 11 says, If not, what did you come to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. You're not going to find a king's palace kind of guy from John the Baptist. And it takes preparation for him to get to that spot where he feels okay about not having comfort or wealth. And how does he go find that? In the wilderness. He goes to this place of training. It's where you see John getting his heart and soul ready for what he's up against. I'd call it a long retreat. He was retreating to get his soul ready to go do what it was he was getting ready to do. He headed for the wilderness. And when I start thinking about all of that, I can't help but go to the Rocky films. You know, the Rocky movies, boxing movie. Uh, somebody out there has probably watched these way more than they wanted to. And it's in that season of the year when all the snow falls down that we watch all of them at one time. We're literally kind of observed that way. But I think we think of Rocky IV, if I can go there. Rocky IV, those of you that don't remember, it is Drago from Russia, right? That's going up against Rocky. And Drago has already taken on Apollo. In fact, he killed this guy who was, he had trained with, and now Rocky was out to get him. But instead of doing the regular United States kind of deal in the first three we see, he has to go to Russia to go to make it happen. And so when we get there, Drago is doing all of his big high time stuff. He's got all of the, all of the stuff and all the little tabs, and he's running in, in all of this great elite place. And then Rocky shows up, and what does he ask for? A wilderness. He goes to get trained in the wilderness. He wants this most obscure place with an old fireplace where he's splitting logs all day and running through the snow and carrying wood, doing push-ups and pull-ups upside down on the rafters of this building. And internally we're like, Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. Right, it's a building in intensity. If the music doesn't do it for us, we just know you got to watch out for this man. This is what happens to us when we retreat. We settle our spirits in the wilderness. We come back with a different kind of mentality. We don't worry about comfort or wealth. We come to do a job. And the wilderness, quite frankly, will break a man who isn't ready for it. And many stories are out there at how tough the wilderness can be. And John found himself alone in the wilderness, and he found himself ready, not defeated, but strengthened. And I know some of you are right in the middle of your wilderness. And I just say, step into that. And allow yourself to be small in that moment so that God can be big in that moment. And when you step out and you go, look out, world, I have a big God that I serve. And I have a big message. And it's okay that I'm not important. God will be there. Don't be broken and discouraged in your wilderness. Find God there. And when you do, focus on the faithfulness to God, not the standing before men. So many of us are looking at the approval of men 
and we're missing the mark and we feel dissatisfied. No wonder we are because we've not seen the faithfulness of God. We're looking for people to stand up for us. We've lost our focus. We ourselves do. We need to start with the faithfulness of God and the secret of God's own presence, learning what it is to work by his side. God wants us to do and if we learn there in the secret what God, what John the Baptist did, we'll be assured that when we step out publicly into the presence of God himself, our testimony will bear fruit and God will always be faithful. My standing with others will always be changed. Because here, quite frankly, we are the warm-up act to the main event. John was the warm-up act to the main event. And that's not how we do things around here. We, we want fame and we love the bright lights and we crave the roar of the crowd and we can't let go of that. We fight for our rights. It's not easy to be the warm-up act. Who wants to do that? We want to be the main event. Even his disciples wanted that. I want to be on your left and on your right. Not John. He did his job. And then he stepped away with the bright lights. He knew his star would rise and fall as Jesus took the center stage. Because his job, like ours, has an expiration date. He isn't here for very long. John was in this spot of, wasn't in this spot of leadership for very long. His head's going to be severed because of his bold honesty. And when the time came, he was willingly said in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. Not popular words in our world today. To be least, to be last, to be unimportant. And each of us have a job with an expiration date as well. I don't know when yours is, and you don't know when mine is. But each of us have an expiration date, and one day we will be called home. And what will happen with the time that we have? And why wait for another time? What if we run out of time? And we have this last piece from John's life. John was a man of great self-denial. Great self-denial. John was uncluttered man. He understood that Israel stood in, in need of a major spiritual reformation. And some people, leaders especially, didn't want to hear that which is why they opposed his ministry. John didn't care about fitting into public opinion because it was not about the admiration of others, but for the affirmation of God himself. The apostle doesn't speak of his education or his pedigree or his gifts. It was enough for him to be sent from God, and John didn't care what other people thought of him. And God always found a way to make sure that he used sent men to a world that needed perishing. He sent Noah. He wanted to raise a new nation. He sent Abraham. He wanted to deliver the nation from Egypt. He sent Moses. He sent Joshua to lead the nation into the promised land. Much later, he sent David to be the greatest king. He wanted a man in Babylon, and so he sent Daniel. When the Lord wanted the walls rebuilt in Jerusalem, he sent Nehemiah. And when he wants the person that everyone has given up on, he needs you. He needs me. So step in and do what it is that we can do in that particular moment with that particular person. Does it mean like having thousands of people at the, the River Jordan? No, it just means speaking into the life of the next person who comes in front of me. That's who we're sent to be part of. And when we do, we know who we are then. John could be humble because he knew who he was. He called himself the friend of the bridegroom, John 3, 29. And after his death, the people knew John best summarized his impact. In John chapter 10, verse 41, this is what they said. John didn't perform any miracles, they said, but everything John said about this man, Jesus, was true. I can't think of a finer thing that could be said for you 
that everything you said about this man was true to whoever you need to speak it to. John knew who he was. He wasn't ashamed of what he looked like. He wasn't bothered by what he looked like. And what would happen to this world if every Christ follower knew who they were and they weren't afraid to share the truth because of their love for the Lord and their love for others? You know who you are in Christ today? Are you living out being a treasured child of the Most High God, bringing confidence to your life and actions and your words? When you do, do you know your message? John knew his. It was one word. Repent. I'm not saying that has to be your word. But he can use your word to still change lives. John knew his message was a message about repentance. He knew they needed to change their behaviors and their direction and their values and the way they lived and the way they behaved. What's your message? Do you have a one-word message that you just stay on and you can't help but keep saying it? Find that word. Because you talk about what direct people need and what, what is close to them. So understand your message. Know your purpose as well. Prepare the way of the Lord. Just so you know, you and I have been sent to, we've been commissioned by Jesus himself, not just John the Baptist. We're to prepare the way for the people that are yet to know who he is. There isn't anybody else. We're it. We're the ones left. And so as I close, I tell you this way. Calling is not some sacred experience for just a few people. It isn't for people like Patrick and Brian and, and Drew. It's, it's for every one of us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 said this. Jesus said this. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. And when you say yes to following Jesus, you become the next John the Baptist, whether you like it or not. Because we have it in Matthew chapter 11. One more time. Verse 11, it says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But here's the part you and I need to hear. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He's greater than he. In my wildest dreams, I look at John the Baptist and go, there's no way I could ever be greater than he. I can if I become least in the kingdom of heaven. And all of the great gospel advances in the book of Acts, if you were to read the book of Acts, Every time there was a great advance, he said early in the scriptures it was going to go to Judea and Samaria and all the rest of the parts of the world, right? But it stayed in Jerusalem. It stayed in Jerusalem until Acts chapter 8. And it was this guy, Stephen, and his message which began to scatter the people. It was the scattering of the regular people, not the apostles that continued to move things. Paul continued in the book of Acts to want to go to Rome, go to Rome, go to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, what does he find there? The brothers in Rome were there to meet him. They were already there. That's because someone else went there to tell the message before he could even get there to tell the message. All he got to do is write a letter to them and say, hey, do good, do, keep going, make it happen. The apostles came in after it. And the regular advance of the gospel in the book of Acts came from regular people who just moved and scattered and told their story wherever they could tell it and to whomever they could tell it. So I would just challenge you with this. Whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God. Whatever you're good at, and all of you have been called to something completely different than me, I don't understand most of what all of us do, but the reality is you have been called to something completely different than me. Do it with all of your might for the glory of God, and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And when you do, you will be John the Baptist. You will be John the Baptist. 
Maybe you'll lose your head over it. I don't know. Kind of a nice, short, sweet way to make it happen, isn't it? But the reality is we've all been called. We've all been declared. We've all been sent. Will we go? Will we go? I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. Before we sing one more time about the greatness of God. Now, Lord God, we come before you recognizing that sometimes we've sat on some of the things that we should not be sitting on. We have truth to tell, not at the expense of hurting someone, tearing somebody apart. We do it with all the love in our heart because we care so much about people. We just don't want to see them in eternity without Savior. So I pray, God, that our hearts would be broken to be able to love people genuinely, to tell them the truth. Lord God, help us with the one word that we need to proclaim that we've just been sent here to do. Make sure that people know about. John's was to repent. Give us that word, God. More importantly, give us the people so that we can share it with them. And Father, if there's somebody that doesn't know and hasn't heard, that we would direct them to what it is your word tells them to do. That they would hear and that they would believe you and they would believe in you as Savior and Lord. They would confess you as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. They would change from the places where they were at in repentance. They would find themselves as John was, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift that you've given to us. And we pray, God, that as the kingdom continues to enlarge and it forcefully advance, it will forcefully advance in the people at the Fairfield Church of Christ, wherever they go and whatever they do. We'll give you all praise and glory for it until you return for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come if you have a decision today. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com.